Welcome to Same Old Song, the lectionary podcast of Mockingbird Ministries, an organization that exists to connect the Christian faith with the realities of everyday life. As always and ever, I'm Scott Jones, and I'll be your host of this podcast, actually your co-host. In just a moment, I'll be joined by Jacob Smith, rector of Calvary St. George's Parish in New York City. He and I will endeavor to help preachers to bring the never-changing truth of God's resilient and promiscuous grace to the ever-changing world in which we live. We'll do that in 25 minutes or less. We've decided to call the podcast the same old song because it seems that the more things change, the more it seems like they stay the same, at least where human nature is concerned. This is, again, a work in progress, so give us your thoughts. Email me at scottjones at mbird.com. Tell us what you think. We hope you enjoy it. All right, welcome to the same old song, the lectionary podcast of Mockingbird Ministries. I'm Scott Jones. Some of you know me from other Mocking Ventures. I'm here with the co-host of this podcast, Jacob Smith, rector of Calvary St. George's Church in New York City, lectionary preacher all around. He's, he's a jolly good fellow, and that... Nobody can deny. Jake, how are you? I'm well. I'm really excited about this podcast. It seems like Advent has just crept upon us, but here we go. And so we're moving into a new liturgical year, and uh, it's very exciting. And uh, looking forward to helping uh, kind of preachers walk through and uh, think through what um, their sermons are about. Um, Really, I kind of hope that this is going to be... um, Kind of it can function like you know the mockingbird devotional on one level, a, a nugget for people to uh, to listen to and be encouraged to by the scriptures. And then the other part of it could be, you know, you're a preacher and it's Saturday night and you don't know what the heck you're gonna talk about. And so maybe um, this could give you the nugget that would help launch your sermon. And so it's not intended to be completely exhaustive or totally exegetical, but it's intended to be um, a little bit of help to get you along the way. Just a little help from my friends. That's right. That's all we need. So today we we are heading in. So the lectionary, basically, uh, most of the people that will be drawn to listening to this will know a little bit about the lectionary, but... Lectionaries are something, right, that date back to, they predate Christianity. They, Judaism used lectionaries, where, which are a prescribed group of lections. A lection is a reading, and they, there would be prescribed readings, like in Luke 4, when Jesus comes in and reads from Isaiah and says that the, the prophecy is fulfilled in your hearing. Je, that it, it, Jesus didn't like just put his, you know, that was the designated reading for the day. Yeah. And over the history of the Christian church, there have been lectionaries, prescribed set, uh, sets of biblical readings. And most recently, you know, now at the Reformation, the re- reformers kind of got, many of the reformers got rid of the lectionaries and went to something called Lectio Continua, just preaching through books of the Bible. But what most people don't realize is that people like Calvin and Luther and their immediate intellectual descendants, were, a lot of them were preaching every day. So when you, when you read a whole book of sermons, they're not spending every Sunday on that. They're they're kind of going through Sundays, Monday, Tuesday. So oftentimes, it, you know, people get lost if you do more than sort of ten or twelve sermons from a single book. So the lectionary tries to have part of the year. It it, it goes continuously through highlights of of books of the Bible with an Old Testament reading, an epistle, and a gospel, and then. During seasons like Advent or Easter season or, or special times of the church's year that focus on uniquely redemptive aspects of the life of Christ, 
there's more of a promise fulfillment kind of character. Texts in the Old Testament are paired with That's New right. Testament text, texts that complement each other in the promise fulfillment sort of fashion. That's right. And uh, Advent is one of those uh, great seasons where especially um, the, the readings um, are oftentimes apocalyptic in nature. Um, Isaiah, readings from Isaiah, readings from Daniel for uh, certain seasons or certain uh, years. And uh, the idea is, is that they find their fulfillment and completion in Christ. And then Christ is usually speaking about his second coming. And the epistles tend to be uh, apocalyptic in nature, either from uh, Thessalonians or, you know, in Romans, as our reading is today, with Paul telling us all to wake up. And so because an advent uh, comes from coming from the Latin word adventus, the theme of the season of Advent is one of expectation. One, as we look back to the expectation of the coming of Christ for the first time, but here in this age, this already not yet, we kind of, as we as Christians, wait in great expectation for his second Advent. And so the readings really give us that expectation and hope. Yeah, and our first reading we have comes from Isaiah, and it's in the second chapter, verses 1 through 5. And here we have Isaiah, when he's writing this message, the people of Judah, the southern kingdom, this is after there's sort of a split in northern Israel and southern Israel. They're pretty dispirited. The Assyrian armies are sent to conquer Judah, and many doubted God's ability to preserve the Davidic dynasty in accordance with the promises that had been made to King David and his descendants. And others believed themselves to be kind of invincible in the face of the enemies. So you have people, some certain people who were kind of uh, slightly discouraged and wondering if the Assyrians means the end of God's good promises to, the, to his people. And other people are like, well, screw it. We, you know, we can't lose. So in some ways, I think that, you know, like it seems like God is saying, because there's the prophet is delivering the message that the Assyrians are still coming, but the battle's not over. So, so both things are, are true, that, that there is a fragility to the kingdom of Judah, that actually it might suffer, it will suffer a pretty big defeat. And yet, it's not going to invalidate the promises, and it's actually through the defeat that the realization of the later promises will come. That's right. That's very powerful. And I think that really relates to kind of today what we're going through. I think, you know, you look at living in Philadelphia or living in New York or living where most people probably li listen to a Mockingbird podcast at all. You know, a lot of people th feel like, you know, are coming to realize the fragility of life and the fragility of kind of all of their expectations and how um, they're not being met. And uh, whether that be politically, whether that be socially, economically. And, uh, and, you know, the question often is, that's posed by people in the parish is, is God still in control? Yeah, and I think that, you know, it, it, it's interesting that oftentimes if we think about our lives and the times when we actually most feel like we've discovered something redemptive, it's generally when we've experienced some sort of loss or we see that the emperor has no clothes, something which we thought we could bank our identity or our, our security on or our, st our status before people or some idea or dream that even if we feel like we're kind of our backs are against the wall right now, eventually if this thing comes through, I'll fit in or I'll succeed or I'll be enough. And oftentimes it's when those idols are just crushed that we actually find ourselves in a kind of new, with a new perspective, you know, and it's just the great Frank Lake says, if we think that our humanity is a container and, you know, that should have something good. Then when we, we, we examine it and we look at it and inevitably the cover feels bare. But if we realize that we're not meant to be, our humanity is not to, 
meant to be a container, but a channel for the energy and life of God himself. So when the bottom gets knocked out of the bucket, it ruins it as a container, but it makes it into a satisfactory channel. Right. Yeah, and I think this is one of the big problems and why so many people are kind of up in arms right now is that... um, well, that they think that the voice of instruction is going to come from them. I think that this is the, this is the big problem with kind of liberal America and why it is it has been so dazed in the last couple of weeks is that it's the prophet, prophet Isaiah says, For out of Zion shall go forth instruction and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem in our reading today. And so often we think that the instruction comes from us and that we're the right ones, you know, and... Um, and so we're shocked by this. And actually, when instruction is coming forth from us, as opposed to the Lord, this kind of becomes the thing where we want to take up arms and uh, we want to, you know, force you into our opinion. Um, this, this, is, this is happening all over the place. But from out of Zion shall f- go forth instruction. And the instruction that goes forth out of Zion and out of Jerusalem uh, from that, it, that is actually finds its fulfillment in Jesus is that uh, you don't know quite what you thought you did. And you, you have no idea who you actually are. And this, I think, becomes an enabling word. You know, um, it's been written about on the Mockingbird blog about, you know, under the, the idea of original sin and understanding original sin actually um, enables you to maybe uh, lay down your arm uh, arms and uh, hear what someone else is saying. And uh, this is a very powerful thing. But out of Zion comes this instruction that uh, enables us to beat our, plow, our, our weapons and turn them into plow shares. And, uh, and I think that's a very important point for a preacher to hit on uh, in this world where everybody thinks that they're right. You actually are not right at all. And I have no problem telling people that. Of course, you just told me a couple of minutes ago. <laughs> yeah. And I think also it's very interesting because you said you did talk about how these apocalyptic texts, which so often come up in Advent, that talk about the, the ending of the world and the, and the birth of a new one. That, that is the post-apocalyptic literature and film and serial dramas. I mean, it, it seems like there's new ones coming out all the time, and mm-hmm. they captivate our imagination, whether it's Battlestar Galactica or The Walking Dead. I mean, there's so many. And what's interesting about post-apocalyptic, the genre, right, is that the, the interesting thing in, in, say, The Walking Dead isn't the zombies. The interesting thing is, who are you? when all the constraints are taken away? Mm. Who are you when the societal roles that tell you who you are, when the laws that govern society are taken away? Who are you and how much of a humanity is left? And what what really is under the core if you take out constraints and things like that? And I think that the, and the whole the thing that's so interesting about them, right, is how people make their way after the world has passed away. And so often, I think, which kind of takes us to our, our epistle, right, Romans 13, where Paul is talking about living in a certain respect to the civil authorities. Mm. And I, I think a lot of people are, think that a lot of New Testament scholars tend to emphasize that what really makes the, the Christian community so interesting in the first century is because they're living with this interim ethic because Jesus is coming back around the corner and we gotta, we've got to really... You know, not yet, not yet, but soon, and we got to clean ourselves up before the second coming. I actually think that's not the case. I think what allows them to live differently is they've experienced the passing away of the world in the midst of the current one. And so, we're, as Paul Zoll has said, John the Baptist, like most apocalyptic Jews, is preaching not yet, but soon. So you got to clean up your act so when it happens, you're fit for the redemptive and judge, judgmental moment. Whereas Jesus says no already 
and not yet that the that the that the, the the new world is being birthed in the midst of the old one, and that makes room for sinners. Yeah, I love uh, I love how Stephen Paulson talks about it. He says, you know, most people are living to die, but as Christians, we are dying to live, and uh, this really gives us a lot of freedom to live in this world. And this was something I think that Sarah hit on brilliantly, and her uh, rage was rightly justified when she's talking about people who say that we can't be reconciled to other folks. This is uh, recently Sarah Condon in the Mockingcast from. Friday. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And she's spot on in the sense that, um, um, you know, what's so interesting about this is that people think that um, uh, our current leader is like the worst person ever. But the truth is, is that Paul is writing Romans 13 here um, under the reign of uh, Emperor Caesar, Nero, and uh, who actually, you know, loved to burn people in his garden as entertainment and things like that. And, and Paul, who does it? Yeah, well, you know, I wish we could bring that back, too. But uh, those are the good the, old days. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, this is this is the thing. And, you know, the truth is, is that left to our own devices, and I think this is the powerful thing about apocalyptic genre television and uh, movies, is that someone is going to take charge. You know, Negan in The Walking Dead, imbo- like someone is going to lead. And you see this, too, all over the world. You know, whether it be in the Middle East or uh, North Korea, the strongest person is going to take the lead regardless. I mean, because this is how humans operate. We're not basically good. Uh, We are basically evil. And uh, I will, on my own, if it was up to me, I would eat all the cherries in the bowl. You know, I would take what's mine. And uh, this is how humans operate when instruction comes forth from there. And the truth is, is that here's one of the things I think that Paul is getting at here in Romans 13 is that because that is the case, um, it can be overwhelming. I think most of us would prefer just to be asleep and sleep through the whole thing. And really what the gospel does when it begins to hit you and begins to say there's another, a king of kings who is already but not yet coming back, wake up, wake up. And this gives you actually the freedom to speak into a culture. And I think what made the early church so unique was that it wasn't that they were speaking, we're right, you're wrong but rather calling all people to repentance and the forgiveness of sins which is offered in the shed blood of Jesus. This is what reconciliation is actually all about, reconciling people back to the gospel, to, to, to God and Christ because he's already shed his costly blood. So um, echoing my voice with Sarah Conan, wake up and uh, wake up to the whole world is a theme of Advent. Which takes us to the gospel reading. Mm-hmm. It's, Love it. It's from Matthew 24. Matthew is one of my four favorite gospels. And where the disciples are asking Jesus about the end of the world. And he says, no one really knows the days or the hour. And he says, you know, it'll be like the days of Noah. You know, something's going to sweep in and, you know, one's going to be left. One's going to be taken away. So it's a very, it's a very interesting passage about expectation, about the dangers probably of majoring on the minors around expectation? Well, I think especially everybody at this time, and I think we're just just a few months away from a lot of apocalyptic predictions once again. Um, And actually, if you look at our political landscape, everything was apocalyptic in nature. This is the most important election of all time. You know, this is the moment of our, this is the most critical moment in our country's history. And and those words are tossed around all the time. 
And I think that we uh, can be a little bit of apocalyptic hunters and end time hunters just naturally. And we want that because that gives us a sense of control, a sense of being right. And I think uh, one of the themes that runs through all three of these readings is that none of us are actually in control. Um, the days of Noah, that's a pretty brutal time. I'm not quite sure if we're there yet, but who knows? Um, maybe. Great uh, movie, by the way, with yeah. Russell Crowe. Oh, I loved it. Everybody, it awesome. everybody freaked out about it, but what they failed to realize that what made that movie so amazing was, is that it was filled with midrash and, um, um, there's a parade going on. There's <laughs> we're, fire. We're fire. in New York City. But we're anyway. St. George's Sacristy. Yeah. But what people failed to realize was, is that they have just made a movie based on, Noah from Genesis, it would have been about seven seconds long. And so they filled it with midrash. But uh, that movie really conveyed the brutality, I think, of that age. And uh, and uh, I, I'm not quite sure if we're there yet. But regardless, I think the good news of the gospel for every preacher is in the midst of our out-of-controlness, uh, the word that goes forth from the Lord is that um, he remembers you. You know, that was the good word that came uh, in Genesis when Noah was on the boat. It said, on the ark, the boat, but it was an ark. Uh, it's, it's both. It's like, a, you know, <laughs> yeah. whatever, all all, all uh, squares, all rectangles. Yeah. Oh, wait, all squares are rectangles, but not all rectangles are squares. Yeah. Well, I watched that movie and I think about the... And I, when I read Noah, I think about the horrific screams must have been going on as people were drowning outside and all of that. And then all of a sudden, silence. And then there they are on the boat, 40 days, wondering what the heck. But there's that great line in Genesis, and it says, And God remembered Noah. And this is the theme and one of the great things that we remember during the season of Advent, which really helps preachers and all of us move through this city. Uh, this season as we uh, wait with expectation for our Lord's return is that God has remembered you. And uh, we know that he's remembered you, not because of a feeling or some sort of abstraction, but we know that he's remembered you because he's died for you, he's risen for you, and because he's risen for you, he's definitely coming again for you. He has not, nor will he ever forget you. There's a a novel by Ann Tyler called The Amateur Marriage. And in it, you, the reader bears witness to like, a sad series of events. The book's main characters, Michael and Pauline, who are a pair of World War II-era sweethearts and get married and eventually they have three children. And then one day their oldest child, Lindy, who is my namesake of my wife, so uh, she just disappears and she runs away from home and promptly kind of falls off the face of the earth. Like, they, no, we don't know what happens to her. And for the first days and weeks, even months, they, they, they look for her return and they look on any and every occasion to get a clue to her whereabouts. You know, they're pacing, they're peering out windows, they listen for any you know, key scratching on, on the front door. Uh, they sit, you know, they bolt, up, they, they bolt upright in bed each time they think they hear you know, footfalls on the driveway. Uh, but Lindy doesn't return. And over the years, her absence just becomes another accepted fact of life. And so they, they, they never finally gave up on the idea that they'd see her again, but they stopped watching for her. So in the, in the first days and weeks and months of her disappearance, they, they were certain she'd be back soon. Um, and they wouldn't have been surprised if she had walked right back through the front door Years later, though, the surprise flipped. After a while, they would have been surprised if she had come back. Hmm. And I think that on one of these levels, on one level, this sort of um, 
you know, the, the way that Jesus says people are faithful or doing things like making dinner, you know, doing, going about their everyday business. Like you're not, I think like so often there's this word discipleship and it's like, it, it means that, you know, oh, you're kind of being these religious radicals and that's what it means to live in light of the coming kingdom. I think actually what Jesus is saying, it's more like living in the ordinariness of life, like, like living as a forgiven sinner, uh, grateful for the grace that makes redemption of sinners possible and living with that gratitude in, in your everyday ordinary life. I mean, the, the one, the good news of grace is it frees you from religious heroism mm-hmm. and, and the need for sort of great expectations in the worst sense of the word. So in the, in the end of the novel, Lindy does eventually return, uh, although her mother never lives to see it. And when she shows back up, her father says to her, your mother never gave up hope, I could tell. And it's interesting because she had gotten on with life in one way, you know, but she does have this way occasionally of glancing out the window, letting letting you know that like she still hopes. But her hope, the, 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 the context for her ordinariness, hmm. the hope is ordinariness. Hmm. And sometimes the most hopeful sign of the here and yet not yet kingdom is not religious athleticism or heroism or, you know, self-appointed prophets, but really uh, seeing the ordinariness of grace in the lives. That's right. Of every day sinners. That's right. Yeah. So look for our next episode. I think this is awesome. Like what we just done. I yeah. think you know, let's do it again. Thanks for listening to the debut episode of Same Old Song the lectionary podcast of Mockingbird Ministries. We're going to come to you every Tuesday from here on out. Our next episode, will deal with the text for Advent 2. Look for it next Tuesday. And if you like what you've heard, please consider going over to iTunes and give us a rating and a review and share it with a friend who's got to deal with these lectionary texts as a preacher or who is in a congregation that uses lectionary and just kind of wants to prepare to hear the word on Sunday mornings. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week.